Well, it is wonderful to be back with you all this morning. And by the way, there is something about being together with God's people in worship that if you are not ready to meet with God before worship begins, it absolutely is ready now. Amen? Amen. Uh, I also want to thank Ken, Pastor Ken, for this last week of stepping in. I texted him after I watched the morning service, and here's the thought that I had in my mind as I was watching him. My sickness was not an accident in God's plan. Our church needed to hear that message that Ken brought this last week before we could move forward in this. And by the way, praise the Lord for the sensitivity of this man of God to be able to step in in that moment. I am grateful, grateful. So as a pastor, I am constantly seeking answers to three different questions. What is God doing? Where is God leading? And how can we join him in that activity? When I say I'm constantly seeking God in that, it comes up regularly in my devotional life. So as God brings those questions to mind, there are three passages that he often leads me back to. And these three passages I refer to as caution passages. And they're listed in your notes, but I encourage you not only to kind of listen to what I'm about to say, but take these same passages back into your devotional time with God and process through them and pray through them in light of what we're going to be talking about this morning. So the first of those passages is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. And in this section, the Apostle Paul is telling the church in verse 11, no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Even in major points of transition, we are not trying to discover a new foundation for the church. There is only one foundation, and his name is Jesus. And then the Apostle Paul gives a warning in verse number 10. He says, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. Be careful how you build on the foundation of Christ. Kingdom work is not reckless work. Kingdom work is prayerful work. It is thought through work. It is seeking God's heart and making sure that what we are doing is in alignment with where God is leading. In verse number 12, the apostle Paul, he lists a number of building blocks that represent both eternal as well as temporal materials. He says the eternal ones are like gold and silver and precious stones, and the temporal ones are like wood, hay, and stubble. And then he goes on to say that each person's work will become evident. In time, it'll become evident. In time, it will be known. In time, it's going to be tested. He says it's going to be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the quality of the work. The work that is consumed is going to bring loss and the work that remains will bring a reward. Now let's just stop there for a moment. If all we have is that one passage, it should stop us in our tracks when it comes to what we focus on, what we work towards, what do we invest in our lives in. This is one of those texts that reminds us that anything that is built with temporal or selfish or sinful motives, it will be burned up. It will not last. Here's the part that sits in my heart constantly. 
Are we succeeding in things that don't really matter? When the work is tested, will the work remain? Or have we become very focused on doing things that it might look great, but in the broad scheme of things, it's not really going to matter? So the second passage that God brings me back to is Matthew 7, 22 and 23. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Jesus did not deny their work. He did not deny their sincerity. He did not even deny their results. He denied their relationship. He said, I never knew you. We have to keep the gospel central in everything that we're doing. We have to be champions of the gospel because it's possible that Sherwood can be an amazing, worshipful, servant-minded church, incredible programs, incredible activities, incredible people, and there still be people sitting in these seats Sunday after Sunday after Sunday who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So what do we do? We keep the gospel central. We keep coming at it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's the third passage. It's Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Jesus is addressing the church at Ephesus, and he says, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and that you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have left your first love. Jesus commended their work, their perseverance, their stance against evil, their doctrinal correctness. They had a lot of things that were going extremely well. But somewhere along the way, they became more enamored by what they did than the one they actually did it for. Somewhere along the way, they stopped pursuing Jesus as their first love. So I want us to just pause, put those passages, package them together, and each one is carrying a different word of caution about ministry and about work. The first one is be careful that the work has eternal value. We don't want to invest our lives at something that really doesn't matter. The second one is be careful that the workers know Jesus It is important because it's possible to be working for God and not actually know him. We have to keep the gospel central in all that we do. And the third is be careful that the work doesn't take Jesus' place. At the end of our labor in Christ, it should lead back into the presence of Christ. It should lead people to knowing him and worshiping him and loving him more deeply. If we get to the other end and we've lost our first love, we still didn't win. Does that make sense? Okay, so it reminds me of a quote from our December book, Grace Walk. Steve McVeigh said this, what if you spend your whole life baking apple pies for God only to get to heaven and find out he doesn't like apple pie? (laughs) Think about that for the believer. What if we spend our whole Christian journey doing what we think he wants us to do. Good things, moral things, religious things, only to one day get to heaven and find out we missed his heart completely. That's why this series on vision is so important. 
As a church family, we are on a faith journey together. It, it is not an accident that you're in the room right now. God knew from eternity past that this would be the group sitting in this room in this city at this time. You are not here by accident. And as we're pursuing God's heart saying, God, lead us towards your preferred future for this church, it's important that we're all on the same page, that we understand that just doing something is not the goal. There's always more that can be done. There's a part of submitting our lives in prayerful pursuit of God that he begins to burden our hearts with what's on his. He begins to live through us what is on his heart. And when you get in the flow of that type of God activity, you don't ever want to come out of it again. Just going and doing something will never satisfy once you've stepped into the flow of God's activity. So this morning, after six months of prayer about this church about what God is doing. I've been asking God to burn your vision, your preferred future for Sherwood into my heart. So this morning, I'm going to share a small statement that I believe captures the essence of what I believe God is calling Sherwood to be about and to bring to the forefront of each of its ministries. It's one that captures the DNA of Sherwood. It's one that incorporates the unique burdens that God has placed on my heart for leadership in the local church. It also is one that leads people back into the presence of God. There's a lot that we're going to cover this morning, and we're going to bathe it in prayer, and we're going to develop it through God's Word. So I invite you at this time, go with me in your Bibles. Colossians chapter number 4 will be in verses 2 and 3. Colossians chapter number 4 will be in verses 2 and 3. I'm speaking this morning on the subject, where is God leading? And this is specific for Sherwood. Where is God leading within Sherwood at this time? We're going to read the text, and then from there we will pray and move forward. The text says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we get into this text, God, we are dependent on your spirit to unlock the truths in our heart. We are dependent upon your spirit to bring us together to clearly see what it is that you are directing this church to be about. God, we are dependent upon your spirit to do in and through and for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So God, may this be one of those moments that all of a sudden there is a holy awareness of what you're calling us to. And we'll be grateful for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So Colossians chapter 4 verses 2 and 3 is a simple text that combines several key ideas that are relevant for Sherwood at this time. There's a prayer component of this text. There is a thankfulness component in this text. And there's also a future ministry component in this text. So the Apostle Paul encouraged believers to devote themselves to prayer, keeping alert in it. This word alert, it speaks of vigilance, awareness, proactiveness, in our prayers. We are not to pray as a last resort. 
We are not to pray only when bad things are happening, but rather we are to pray like watchmen on a wall. We are to stay alert and aware to the events that are happening around us. Apart from the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York, there is no church in America that I know of that has a stronger reputation for prayer than Sherwood. Prayer, it flows through the history of this church. Prayer, it undergirds the ministries of this church. Prayer has been a part of the ongoing rally cry of this church, and that should never change. But I want you to listen to this. Be, be really careful in this. That is, we have to be careful that familiar things do not become forgotten things that end up as forsaken things. When you've heard the call to prayer again and again, it's easy to tune that out and to say, I already know that, let's go to something else. We have to do everything we can to fight that tendency. We cannot let up in prayer. Prayer is the ethos of God's activity. It is a part of every healthy Bible-believing church. And the Apostle Paul is encouraging believers to devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. You can't just dabble in prayer when it's convenient. You can't just focus on prayer. Like, let's do one series on prayer and hope that's enough to build it into the DNA of the church. We definitely cannot rest in the prayer conferences and the prayer meetings and the prayer stories of yesterday. There needs to be something fresh. There needs to be something up to date in our prayers. When somebody asks you the question, what is God doing in prayer? It needs to be, we got something fresh, like this morning, like last hour, like here's what's happening right now. If you got a point back to 10 years ago, something's wrong in the prayer life. We're not being alert, we're not being vigilant. We have to remain devoted in prayer. Nothing of eternal value happens apart from prayer. As we pray, the Apostle Paul says, do it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Verse number two, very clear. Keeping alert in it, keeping alert in prayer with an attitude of thanksgiving. There is something incredibly healthy about believers pausing to reflect upon and to rejoice in God's activity. I'm just be completely honest with you. This is probably one of the hardest things for me in my personal walk with God. I'm one of those types of people, I've got 50 different things that I'm working on at any given point in time, and sometimes I've not even finished seeing what God has done in the last answer to prayer before I'm already focused on the next four things down the path. You know what God does a lot of times? He will begin to clear your schedule out so that you got some time to sit with him in prayer. Guess what I had over the last week and a half? <laughs> hey, I, I've noticed this over the years. God does not operate by accidents. There's times that he just stops you and he says, no, the next thing is not important as looking at what I just did the last one. And he forces us many times to sit with him. Now I want you to look for just a moment at this future ministry component. That is, they were to pray. Their prayers were to be specific. Pray that God will open up to us a door for the word. Stop right there. Not God open up a door for our agenda. God open a door for your word. People need the word. 
The Bible says God's word is truth. We live at a time in which our culture many times is built on lies and half-truths and deception and depravity. Where is it that people need to go in order to move forward and to know what is right from wrong and good from bad and what is on the heart of God? It has to be that it flows out of the word. People need the word. In fact, by the way, I don't know if you all know this, but this word will set captives free. This word heals marriages. This word frees people from addiction. This word helps people find their created purpose and their potential before God. That's what people need in a world of bad news. We got good news. And what Paul is praying for is he says, pray with me that God, that God, not us, not us beating the doors down, pray with me that God opens the door so that his word can go out. Now notice also what we find in this. He says, when the doors open for the word, here it is, that they speak forth the mystery of Christ. It's not just getting up and saying, God's word's great, get in there. He's like, oh, not only is it great, pray that God helps us to speak the mystery of Christ. This is a theme that he's carried through from chapter 2, verse 3, in which he says, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Here it is, the mystery of Christ is Christ. The mystery of Christ is the person, the ministry, the work of Christ. The, the mystery behind this is the unfathomable idea that God, the creator, the holy one, came for us, that he died in our place, that he rose on the third day that we might have life, and he offers forgiveness, eternal life, to those who lived in rebellion against him. Why did he do it? It's a mystery. It's in the mind of God. Only God can fathom the depths of why he has done that. And here's what Paul's saying. God, give us an opportunity to get the word out and to share the mystery of Christ, share the gospel of Christ, share the work of Christ. So three words here, big concepts, prayer, thankfulness, ministry. We're to be vigilant in prayer, thankful when we pray, but we're also to pray for open doors and opportunities to serve. Pray for the ministry of the word. Pray for the perseverance of believers in the face of obstacles. Did you notice in this section that he says, by speaking the mystery of Christ, he says, for which I am imprisoned. Great ministry will always come at great cost. It will cost us something to get the word out to people. So, pull it all together. This is week number three in our vision series. We've been asking one question each week. We started with, what has God done? We moved to, what is God's heart? Now we're asking the question, where is God leading? And here's what we know for sure at this point. God did not establish such a rich heritage of prayer at Sherwood for us to abandon prayer for ministry out of self-effort. We know that. We also understand God did not establish a rich history of men standing in this pulpit proclaiming, teaching, and admonishing people in the word of God for us to walk away from scriptural authority. 
That's a part of the DNA of this church. We also understand God did not bless Sherwood with these facilities and these resources and this amazing group of unbelievably gifted, God-loving servants for us to now pull back, enjoy some nice worship services, and just look out for ourselves. That, that's not what he has done this for. Remember our three statements from week number one. God has been preparing us for what he has prepared for us. To whom much is given is much required. God directs those who trust and submit to him. Did you know we have been entrusted with more at this point than any of the previous generations that came before us here at Sherwood? Look at what God has done. And God has blessed us with these resources. Now, this might sound like just a, a kind of a basic statement. You're like, Paul, that's not really like novel. It's not new. It's not huge. But here's a thought. I want to, want to get it to you. Every generation needs the truths of God retold to them. Have you ever wondered why it is that when you walk into a Christian bookstore, there's another book on prayer when there's been like several thousand other books on prayer that came before that? Have you ever wondered why it is that there's more books on faith and more books on the gospel and more books on discipleship? Why is that? It's because every generation needs the ancient truths of God that do not change in order to be shared with that generation in a way that they can understand. And get this, God is blessing us with an opportunity to share the truths of God's word with this generation and maybe with the next one that is behind it. That brings about great responsibility. So I said a little while ago that I would share a small statement that I believe captures the essence of what I believe God is calling Sherwood to be about and to bring to the forefront of each of its ministries. Where is God leading Sherwood? Here it is. Are you ready? I wish I had a drum roll. That'd be a great thing. Like, okay, where, where is God leading at Sherwood? He is leading us on a path to see people awakened by the gospel to a life of knowing Christ and making him known. Let me share that again. Leading us on a path to see people awakened by the gospel to a life of knowing Christ in making him known. Now, if vision is supposed to be a picture of your preferred future, I cannot imagine a better preferred future than seeing hundreds of thousands of people awakened by the gospel of Jesus Christ to a life of knowing Christ and making him known. I cannot imagine a better legacy. One day down the road, when we're looking back from the vantage point of eternity, I, I cannot imagine a better legacy than for us to be able to say we gave our lives so that people in this city and people in this state and people of every nation, tribe, and tongue would be awakened by the gospel of Jesus Christ and allowed to step into a life of knowing Christ and making him known. That gets me excited. That, that, the other part of this is notice the wording in this, and that is the idea of Awakened by the gospel, awakened by the mystery of God, awakened to a life, not a religion, not an emotional decision, not a weakened obligation, awakened to a life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. 
What does an abundant life look like? It's a life of knowing Christ and making him known. It's a life of experiencing our created purpose and living out our created potential. It is a life where intimacy with God flows into the mission of God and leads people into the presence of God. That is life. That is joy. That's something I could give the rest of my life to. One day when I see my Savior face to face, I want to know that I poured out everything that he poured into me. I want to know that I have been about my Father's business. I want to know that the resources he's placed at at my stewardship have been used well for kingdom services. I, I want to know that I gave my life, here it is, just to point people back to Jesus. What, what an awesome thing to one day be on your tombstone. Pointer to Jesus. That, I'm 48 years old. I know, I look older than that. It's, it's my haircut, I recognize it. I'm 48 years old. If standard lifespans apply, I'm at least in the third quarter of my life, if not in the fourth quarter, and I just don't even know it yet. If God were to give me another 30 to 40 years, I want to spend every bit of that time seeing people awakened by the gospel of Jesus Christ to a life of knowing Christ and making him known. We have another generation to reach and another generation to teach. And for us to reach this next generation, there are tangible steps that we can take towards that. There's areas that we need to focus more attention upon. Now, I'm going to provide a number of what I consider to be just big categories here. And in these big categories, I want you to keep in mind that seeing people awakened by the gospel to a life of knowing Christ and making him known, that's something that literally it could have hundreds, if not thousands, of tangible expressions of what that looks like in each person's life. But every part of what I'm talking about, it has to be prayed over, it has to be submitted to God, And it has to be one of those things that if God doesn't do it, we're in trouble. So you're going to notice on each of these, they are prefaced with the phrase, by God's grace. That is, we need God to do in us and through us and for us what we cannot do. But as that's happening, these are things that I am praying our church is going to be about. The first of those, here's big category, prayer. We will walk deeper and further in prayer. Sherwood has a rich prayer history, and we need to move that history forward to the next generation. We'll begin by focusing more heavily on five specific areas of prayer. That is Sunday morning prayer team, house of prayer on Sunday evenings, corporate prayer sheet, intercessory prayer boards that will be made available out in the lobby, as well as prayer walking. Here's my point on this. It is better to have five focused areas of prayer that people are actively engaging in than to have 40 possible prayer opportunities that are being underutilized. We need to make sure that the basics 
in prayer are being strong. Now, when I talk about prayer walking, some of you might not be familiar with that, that term, but prayer walking is simply praying on site with insight. Whenever we were in Las Vegas, we spent our first two years with the help of about 40 mission teams from around the country, prayer walking 120,000 homes on the southwest side of Las Vegas. And we trained teams as to how do you pray on site with insight. We trained teams to walk down the roads and to begin to beg God for an opportunity to get the gospel to homes and to children and to young families at an early age. We began to beg God to give us a chance to get gospel lighthouses in different neighborhoods that we knew of no believer in that area. In Las Vegas, when we got there in 2003, 94% of the population is unchurched, disconnected from anything that deals with Christianity. And we just began to pray, God, if you're going to do something, help us to see it raised up in these different families. We began to pray, God, send us the young families. And when we prayed for young families, here's what the reason behind that. Before the enemy gets an opportunity to wreck another generation, God, give us a chance to get the gospel to them early. How many parents, even when I've done some of my series in the Equipped, have come to me afterwards and said, I wish I'd have heard that 20 years ago. I wish I'd have heard that 30 years ago. Well, right now, there's another generation that we get a chance to reach at that vulnerable moment in time. Here's what happened over that. Over the years, God began to bring young families. And when he began to bring them, he, he brought so many that we had people showing up in our church saying, we've been in all sorts of churches trying to find where are the young families, and we found they're all here. <laughs> like God began pouring young families into the church. And over the course of 18 years, we sent out over seven thousand people who had been trained in the gospel of Jesus Christ to other places around the world. The point is, we get a chance to reach them early. So we began to pray for God to do things. And here's what would happen. We would send out teams. They would walk the roads, praying over the houses. If they saw little tiny shoes at the front door, they would begin to say, God, I'm praying for the children. If they saw a difficult area of town, they're praying for areas of bondage. They saw an affluent area of town. We said, God, help them to have eyes to see that even in their affluence, they still need you. We began to train people. How do you walk the roads and pray? And here's what happened. After the teams would come back, we would highlight the roads they walked down. In the weeks and months to come, there'd be people who would start coming into the church. They get saved. Marriages get healed. Addictions give way. And they would give us their information. And the roads that we walked and prayed over is exactly where these people were coming from. And by the way, there is nothing that will be more encouraging to a community than to see a group of believers walking down their streets saying, we are praying God's blessing on behalf of the neighbors in this area. Part of it, is prayer walking. God reminded us prayer is not preparation for the work. Prayer is the work. He reminded us that God often responds in proportion to how we seek him. The second of those words is discipleship. We will train disciples to make disciples where God places them. The great commission is go and make disciples. If our strategy is dependent upon getting everybody to show up on this campus, we're in trouble. 
We need to know that we are training disciples so that they can make disciples at home with their family, in their neighborhoods, at their workplaces, wherever it is that God is placing them. The next word here is kingdom. We will intentionally engage in and strategically invest in God's kingdom activity. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. When you got your eyes on the kingdom, it does a whole lot for dealing with selfishness in our hearts. It's naturally going to develop. Part of seeking the kingdom will include developing more opportunities for people to serve on mission. I am praying that God allows this church to go to the hard places in this world, to the unengaged people of this world, to the places that nobody else wants to go. I am praying, God, give us an opportunity to get to that area. I am praying that within the next three years, 50% of our Sunday morning worship attendants will have been able to serve on mission with God outside the walls of this church. I'm praying that God is going to do that. Part of seeking his kingdom is continuing to engage in planting in the sin cities and other areas that God directs, planting churches. Since 2012, Sherwood has helped plant 27 churches in 32 sin cities in North America. I will explain a little bit more of that in just a few moments. This year, we're adding two more cities in. One is going to be in Cincinnati. Another one is going to be in Columbus. We're also, part of seeking the kingdom, is praying that this year... God gives us the opportunity to begin the preliminary steps on creating a church planting residency program right here at Sherwood. I want to see God raise up from the harvest, from people in this church, the next generation of church planters and pastors. I am praying that God sends in individuals who are called by God to take the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth and give us a chance for one year to bring them in, to invest in them so that they get the DNA of Sherwood, that they are entrusted with what it looks like to share the gospel and disciple others so that they can be sent out healthy to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I'm also, part of that is seeking the kingdom, is taking a greater role in encouraging and strengthening other churches. This last week and a half, as I've been sitting alone with God, I've been going through the book of Acts. You cannot read the book of Acts without seeing the number of times the apostle Paul goes to a city to strengthen and encourage the churches. Remember, it's not about our church, it's about his kingdom. The kingdom of God is bigger than one church. It is bigger than one denomination. If other churches in the area are hurting and we've got an opportunity to help breathe life and encouragement to them, God help us if we don't take that opportunity. Another part of seeking the kingdom is walking further with the doors that God is opening for the This is the Gospel curriculum. I've been sharing some of this on Sunday nights. I will be back in it again this upcoming tonight. Part of the work is on the website. Part is sending teams around the world. Part of that is helping develop new as well as work with existing partnerships. And also a part of this is developing new translations, unlocking gospel-centered discipleship resources for entire people groups. Many of these resources, it's between $500 to $1,000 per translation to get it translated, and yet it unlocks gospel-centered 
centered discipleship resources for millions of people around the world. A month ago, we were contacted by the leadership of Word of Life Bible Institute asking that we would send trainers to teach their college students about this is the gospel. They have campuses in New York, Florida, Canada, South Korea, Brazil, Hungary, Uganda, Argentina, and Mexico. San Diego Christian College, led for four decades by David Jeremiah, has now made This is the Gospel a requirement in their missions department. We also got word this last Monday night of a two-person team that is going into Ethiopia. They have been asked by the Kaylee Hewitt Church to train their youth ministry leadership. Now, the Kaylee Hewitt Church is the largest evangelical denomination in Ethiopia. Nine million believers, 10,000 churches, and the youth ministry team is over several hundred thousand youth workers. They've been asked to be trained. Now, to give you an idea, this was sent to me this last Monday night. 90,000 believers climbed a mountain in Ethiopia praying for revival in God's activity before training in the gospel. You, you don't get it? You don't get it yet. Listen, that's what it looks like. Could you, right now, I'm about to tell on some Baptists, it's hard to get 100 Baptists to pray in a comfortable room with air conditioning and nice seats. They climbed four hours to the top of a mountain, 90,000 to pray that God sends revival to their nation. What has God done in response to that? 2012, there were 6.7 million believers a part of that network. 2020, 9 million. What? Listen, God is at work. The question becomes, Will we engage in the opportunities that he places before us? Here's another word. It's leadership. We will develop a leadership pipeline to help train believers in the harvest for the harvest. It's been said that everything rises and falls on leadership. If we have a hope of being able to influence college campuses, to change communities, to strengthen families and churches, leadership development cannot be an afterthought. It has to be intentionally and faithfully worked towards. Another one is worship by the grace of God. We will invest in and help develop the next generation of worship leaders, musicians, and creatives. Music has always had a huge impact on culture. And within every generation, there's either groups or individuals who will influence the music that impacts the culture and creates the narrative. Here's my prayer. God, let it be Sherwood. By the way, I don't know of another church in America who's got greater talent in worship than what this church does right here. Why, why could God not do that? Here's another one is education. By God's grace, we'll prayerfully seek God's heart in expanding Christian education. God has immensely blessed us with SCA. The facilities, teachers, administrators, opportunities to partner with families, it's almost unlimited. We have a chance to train the next generation by providing quality education that integrates cutting-edge technology, strong academics with a biblical worldview, Christian values, and a loving environment. My question is, where else does God want that to go? 
Final word that I have here is the word outreach. We will lovingly serve the community in strategic ways through the Alpha Pregnancy Centers, the Hope Center, the Albany Biblical Counseling Center, Legacy Park, Serve Days, Prayer Walking, City Engagement, Sports Leagues, Community Events. We get a chance to walk with people building meaningful relationships in good and in difficult times of their life. By the way, I'm all about God's kingdom activity around the world. But here's a statement that my mentor gave to me many years ago. The light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. If you're not engaging your neighbors with the same things, we got no right to run around halfway around the world to try to do it there. We start here and it flows out from there. All of those are pieces of tangible ways that this is a vision that can begin to move forward. As people are awakened by the gospel to a life of knowing Christ and making him known. Now, let me just say as we close out at this point. Next week, I will get into how can we join him. And I'm going to get into specifics of what it is that you can do to be a part of what God is doing right here at Sherwood.